Previously on Snicktoons, special guest host Kurt Schmidt and I broke down X-Men the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 10, Beauty and the Beast. And before that, we compared a very special top five, five mutants who will we who, <laughs> who we will see first in the MCU. And Kurt had some pretty awesome sleeper picks, and uh, I really liked his number one pick. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't already, and make sure you stay tuned as new special guest host and I break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 2 Episode 11, Mojo Vision. All right, bubs, as you heard at the top of the show, I am back today with a brand new special guest host. I'm super excited to have this guy on. We have been planning his appearance on this show uh, since I first started looking at bringing guests on, and uh, we're finally able to get him on today. I'm a big fan of this guy. Way back in my Twitter days, uh, I discovered this this Twitter feed called Xbricks, and it was this really awesome Twitter account, and this guy would make custom-designed Lego X-Bricks, or, well, Brickheads, that were all X-Men characters. And it was, uh, to borrow a phrase, it was, you know, the chocolate and the peanut butter mixed together. It was like two of my favorite things in one. And this guy's designs were so great. And then, of course, becoming friends with him on Twitter and realizing that not only is he this awesome Lego designer, but he's a huge X-Men fan and just someone whose fandom is infectious. So I wanted to get him on. I'm super excited to have him on today. That is Quinn Hester's. Quinn, welcome to Snicktoons. Hey, thanks. Uh, <laughs> it's very flattering. <laughs> yeah, I, since I've been on Instagram and have left Twitter, I've come across a couple different accounts that kind of do the same thing where they go out there and, and they design their X-Bricks or, or, you know, in this case, their TMNT Brickheads as well. And... Like the, the their designs, they just don't hold a candle to all the stuff that you have done, and it's not like you've done like five characters. I mean, you've done so many Hundreds. characters, so many iterations. I mean, like name a moment in X history or an iconic X team, and you've designed their brickheads. Yep. Oh, and <laughs> speaking of uh, TMNT, I've got a thing in the pipeline uh, that's coming up. I'm collaborating with. Uh, this guy, Scott, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, I don't know. Maybe it can go in like the episode notes or whatever, but he's doing this project called a uh, mutant pizza. And so he got a bunch of different artists to like contribute different pieces of different characters. And so, um, I picked a uh, metal head and did a brickheads with him. And oh, then cool. I also picked the one that I knew that like, no one would want to pick. So I picked Venus de Milo. Oh, <laughs> just sort of as a joke. <laughs> All right. So so with Venus, man, th- that is a character who has like the TMNT fandom is like split right down the middle on whether or not she is a good character. Uh, but without getting too spoilery, because I one of the comic series that I that I read that I follow month to month 
is the IDW TMNT series, the, the one that's ongoing. We're up to, I think, almost 130, almost. And uh, she's set to finally make her appearance. She's being brought into the IDW canon by the very talented writer uh, Sophie Campbell. So I'm super excited <laughs> that that character is finally going to make her debut. And it seems that they're they're going a very new direction with the character, too. So I think... Uh, long-time fans who have have, have hated that character, uh, there, there's a chance now that they're going to like this new take that it seems that she's going with it. So that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I always like it when there's like weird sort of ideas that are rejected and then someone's like, I can take this and make something that's actually good out of it. Um, <laughs> like I do that a lot of the time. I do that with like teams and stuff like that, uh, doing builds out of like characters that no one cares about, like, uh, today I did a, uh, Fantastic Four one, or Fantastic Four series, because on April Fool's Day now I, I become Fantastic Bricks. Um, <laughs> I do all kinds of Fantastic Four builds, so I did ones for the 2015 movie. Oh, and so no. I had to watch that like two and a half times to get certain <laughs> characters, which is more than anyone should have to watch that movie. I, you know, I was I was good with just watching the trailer once, and I thought, you know, that's that's all that I need. That's to more see than enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I remember a couple years ago, I think it was right after the Doom Patrol series debuted on uh, DC Universe before it, you know they had all the changes in HBO Max and all that. And for like April Fools, you did Doom Bricks or something when you went through and you designed like Robot Man and uh, Negative Man and Elastigirl. That was pretty cool. I liked yeah. those. <laughs> uh, that was the first April Fools Day I did. And then I was going to do another one, but it was 2020 and everyone was just like, we're all so burnt out. Can we just not do <laughs> April Fools Day this year? And I'm like, oh, that's my favorite thing, but I guess I'll set this one out. And then so the next year I started doing Fantastic Four ones and then I did more this year and so i've got like a big galactus one that's one of the designs that i'm most proud of i'll have to oh, send wow. pictures of it um but i've got a little silver surfer next to him for a uh, scale oh that's very cool <laughs> yeah uh nice okay so first meeting you on on the social media it was obvious from the start that, that you were a huge x-men fan and not just like a fan of one of the series or one of the movies but a fan of like the whole you know all of x fandom you seem to have uh, something about everything that you liked uh, even going through like on your personal twitter account when you would talk about the comics and stuff it, i just got this this feeling that, that you were a, a complete fan uh, so how were you first introduced to the X-Men? Um, well, the first time, the very first time was when I was a kid. Um, X-Men Evolution was happening, uh, mm -hmm. but for some reason I'd never like watched Fox Kids and it was never on any sort of channel that I was watching. Um, but I did get the uh, X-Men Evolution Cyclops toy from Burger King, and I liked how his visor was futuristic. And then I didn't think about X-Men for like, a really long time. Like I wasn't even aware of even like the movies coming out until around like X-Men Origins Wolverine. And I just have this kind of faint memory of the, the trailer for that. Um, and then around the time the Wolverine came around, um, I remember that. And I was at a uh, universal studios and I went to the, uh, in islands of adventure. They have this Marvel land, Marvel superhero Island. Hmm. And I was a, big MCU fan at the time. 
but being there um, at this place that was built in like 1999, they have all kinds of Fantastic Four and X-Men and all these characters that Marvel was just not promoting at all because they didn't <laughs> have the film rights to them. They were just like, these are kind of the black sheep. We're not going to, we're not going to make any toys out of them or anything. Or if we do, they're just going to be. And then that was before they really started to crack down on like making sure there were none of them in the video games or anything like that. Like that was before even, even Lego Marvel superheroes, which was basically, even then it felt like, wow, it's really cool that they're putting all these characters together. Like they're probably never going to do that anytime (laughs) soon (laughs) again. Yeah. Yeah. No, and you're right. I mean, we got Lego superheroes too, with absolutely no X-Men characters and no fantastic four characters. And, (laughs) Uh, so yes, it's been a long, it feels like it had been a long time. They did, um, there was like one, I feel like there was one other game. Oh, it was the like Marvel versus Capcom infinite or or whatever it was that had like had nobody from, from those franchises in there. Didn't even bother checking that one out. They were just like, yeah, people only play as Dr. Doom because of his functions. And everyone was like, doesn't know. That's not, (laughs) that's not true. They do it because he's cool. Yeah. Cause they, cause they like him. Like he's, one of the the biggest and baddest and best villains in in all of Marvel, you know, like yep. it's not just because he does cool. Th- well, I mean, he he does cool things because he's cool. Not <laughs> yeah, nice. Okay, wow, okay. Uh, man, X Men so, Evolution. So I remember that cartoon. That, so that was coming out when I was in high school, and by the time I was in high school, I was one of those like stay up until four a.m. and sleep until like one thirty kind of guy. Uh, for like Fridays and Saturdays, like up till 4 a.m. So waking up early to watch a Saturday morning cartoon was, was kind of a tall order for me. Uh, but for that whole first season, I managed to do it every Saturday. I would, I would, usually I'd probably fall back asleep before the episode ended, but it was still, I guess, early enough that, uh, I still had a VCR in my room. So I was able to record a whole tape of, of season one of nice. X-Men evolution. So I'd wake up, I'd hit record, I'd start to watch, I'd, I'd fall back asleep. And then, yeah, I'd wake up and I'd, I'd finish the VHS with, with my, uh, I think it was a, a DVD VCR combo. Cause like that was, you know, DVD was still pretty new in the early two thousands and, and all that. And like VHS was, it was still around. It was obviously like on its last legs, but because so many people had all of their media on VHS, I, yeah, I that do they still had the that. combos. <laughs> like when they're still advertising uh, video and DVD. Yeah. <laughs> like it was a big choice. Like, hey, you know, you got one foot in the future, but you can keep one foot in the past and still enjoy all the stuff you have, you know. Uh, and and so that I had one of those setups in my room. So yeah, I, w- I would watch it. But I, by the time the second season came around, I. I was, I, it was too late for me. Like waking up at, at seven o'clock or eight o'clock on a Saturday, like I was just, I was done. Like even though I loved the X Men comics and the movies and stuff, and I, I, I would watch them all the time, the original cartoons still, I just, I couldn't force myself to continue on after that first season. It wasn't until a couple years later that they were all on uh, Netflix that I was finally able to see most of the rest. Uh, I had worked at a grocery store out here in Colorado and for the longest time from like 2000, from like 99, 2000 up until about 2005, a lot of the grocery stores had like a DVD, like a, a like a rental place. Cause I mean, by this, like 
Blockbuster was already starting to close stores. They weren't quite dying, but they were on they were on their on their way. Yeah. Uh, so it was easy to just go in and I, and I worked there. So it was easy to just after my shift ended, walk over, grab a DVD. And I remember they had released uh, a couple of like the episodes from season two. So I was kind of able to keep up that way. I think that's actually how I first saw the uh, X-23 episodes. But uh. Uh, yeah, X-Men Evolution, interesting introduction because it's such a, not necessarily like a departure from the comics, because I mean, I, I definitely see the influence, but it was just presented in a way that was very different from from anything that we had really seen in the comics up to that point. So it's kind of cool that that was enough to to get you started. Um, and I mean, then, yeah, it's interesting because it was sort of like a a non-start, like it was like a sort of thing that first put it into like the back of my head, but I never even like saw the series. Oh wow. Um, so, you know, but just from this early age, I got the idea, you know, that Cyclops is cool. Um, and then fast forward to, you know, going to this theme park and seeing all this X-Men stuff. And that's when I started to get interested in it. And then um, one day I was uh, watching The Walking Dead on AMC. And, you know, I, it's the movie channel. So they were promoting all these movies they're doing. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do the first X-Men movie. And I'm like, oh, cool. So I recorded it. And... uh I loved it. I felt that it was, you know, surprisingly deep, the, the themes in it. And I just wanted to check out more of that. So I went to a comic store that was in a mall uh, nearby. And uh, the first issue I remember picking up was the X-Men Gold, not the newer one, but it was a one-shot special celebrating the 50th anniversary of the X-Men. Um, and because I'd never read an X-Men comic before then, it was... Very confusing, but, you know, they had a <laughs> one of Stanley's last written stories in there. They had some Claremont stuff. They had some other writers in there that I probably recognize now, but I didn't at the time. Um, and then it ended with two promotional things. Uh, one was for Astonishing X-Men, uh, the Jason Aaron one, and the other was for uh, Brian Michael Bendis' all-new X-Men. And so... I liked both of those, and I only had a certain amount of money, so I had to choose one at the time, and the one that I chose was All-New X-Men, and I just, I got really attached to that one. I really liked, um, because I was a teenager reading about other teenagers and how they had been pulled out of time, so all of this stuff was very unfamiliar to them, and so that's why I think that All-New X-Men is actually a pretty good uh, starting point, starting point for a lot of people, because basically they've just fought Magneto and that's the only thing that they know, you know, they're basically an entirely new world and everyone has to explain everything to them. And then I got the, uh, days of future past trade paperback because the movie was coming up. And so I caught up on all the other movies and I read the trade and then started getting into other Claremont stuff. And so it was kind of just, uh, working at sort of, um, the modern stuff and then the uh, sort of the sort of classic stuff, um, probably from like the the prime time of the X Men sort of. And then I got a uh, Marvel Masterworks trade paperback um, that was like the first few issues from the Silver Age. They uh, <laughs> haven't all aged as great. They're not <laughs> like they're not as exciting nope. <laughs> or anything as anything else. And um. But, I mean, there are some fun moments in there. You know, this is the first Magneto, first Juggernaut, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but then I sort of started to drop off of 
uh, X-Men comics right before we got to the dark age of uh, humans versus X-Men. Oh, no. And, oh, and just when they decided that <laughs> they just really didn't want anything to do with the X-Men, they just wanted them to suffer. And, you know, Gene had been dead for a long time, but then uh, Wolverine was dead and Cyclops was dead and Fre- Professor X had died before that. And so, like, the biggest character you have is Storm, who's pretty great, but there's there's no one else. <laughs> like, everyone else is dead. I mean, they're, the younger versions of them are around, but, like, everyone was dead. <laughs> it was just sort of a miserable time. Like, I went to the uh, SDCC panel during that time, even though I wasn't following the current titles. And all new Wolverine sounded cool. Um, but everything else was just... It was just miserable. You could like feel it in the air just how how sad it was. And uh, <laughs> later on, I was just going through a uh, Star Wars comic book in the store, um, which you know you probably shouldn't be reading through an entire issue in a store. That's poor etiquette. But uh, that was just what I was doing. Right. And I saw the ad for uh, Resurrection. <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool! I need to jump back onto reading X Men. It's been nonstop since then, and that's my uh, origin story there. Wow. That that is interesting. I was hoping that I would have someone on the show eventually who was either much older or or much younger than myself and and most of my guests because I think most of my guests are probably the same age as me, you know, up or down three or four years. Yeah. Uh, I, I've had one or two guests on that are almost ten years older than me, and so you know, hearing their their stories where their their first introduction was. They just picked up a random comic at a shop because they thought the cover was cool. And it was like, you know, during the Outback era or or whatever, like at the tail end of, of Claremont. And that's pretty cool. But I always kind of wondered, like, how do how did the kids younger than me get into X-Men? Because the movies quality wise started out with a bang, like X-Men X2 were fantastic. And then there were a couple of years where, I mean, they were still they're fun movies, but they're not necessarily good movies and it's you know and it's the time where they're they're competing against movies like you know the dark knight trilogy and the the burgeoning mcu and it's like those are your three choices like yeah you're gonna pick the mcu of course like those are gonna be your heroes so i always wondered wow very interesting to hear that like your first major reading experience was was bendis's all new x-men the the episode hasn't come out it comes out tomorrow but my, my uh, myself and my previous guest were actually talking about the fact that uh, like both he and I kind of liked Bendis at the beginning and then had kind of both fallen off the Bendis train. Uh, but I, yeah, that, I was, remember... that was me too. <laughs> I hadn't <laughs> oh, stepped yeah, around like... to the very end of that run. <laughs> I, I um, so, so I, I got into Bendis because of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. um, Ultimate Spider-Man is is the comic series that kind of brought me back to to Marvel. Um, in the late '90s, I was I was reading X-Men comics through trades, and uh, one of my sister's coworkers had an apartment in the same complex that my sister and her boyfriend lived. And so, if I went over to hang out with my sister or her boyfriend, then we'd usually go over to their friend's house, and he was a big comic book nerd, and he would buy everything. So when I went over there, he would have like a stack of like the last 15 Uncanny X-Men or or Adjectiveless or or Wolverine or whatever. So I was kind of keeping tabs on X-Men throughout the late 90s, like pretty much post-Onslaught 
up until like the Morrison era. So that's kind of how I was getting my X-Men and I wasn't really collecting anything else. I wasn't really reading DC quite yet. I didn't really get into them until uh, like 2000, 2001, a buddy of mine handed me his like kingdom come issues and was like, I know you don't like DC, but read these. And I did. And I, I loved it. And I've, I've, I wasn't really going to comic book shops, uh, but I picked up, I think, the first two trades of Ultimate Spider-Man. Just out of curiosity, uh, my my mom and my dad had gotten divorced a few years earlier than that. And my mom had moved out to California and she was there for about a year and then moved back here to Colorado. And I remember it was like Easter and she gave me like an Easter basket that was Spider-Man because that was my favorite character, my favorite comic character, like when she had left. Uh, so she knew I liked Spider-Man and, and she picked up this basket and it had like the, this like collected edition that had Ultimate Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. So I read that and I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Cause I was, this was like 2000. I was 15 years old. So I mean, this was, this was perfect. Like, yeah. here's my favorite character and now he's the same age as me and he's saying and thinking and doing all the things that I would say and think and do in those situations or at least would want to say, think, or do. So I loved it. So I started, I went to, I think it was like just Barnes and Noble and picked up, um, the, the first two trades were available. It was a uh, volume one, uh, was it called great responsibility, uh, or something like great power. And then the second volume against Kingpin. And uh, I yeah. loved it. So, so I started going to the shop like monthly to pick up, uh, I think like Batman hush had just started coming out too around that time. So I had like two reasons to start going to shops. It was Ultimate Spider-Man and Batman. And then a few months later, Ultimate X-Men started and I, I was reading that and I loved it. And I, I got on this huge Bendis kick, man. I loved Ultimate Spider-Man. I read his Daredevil run, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, and I followed him all the way through up until like around he started writing New Avengers. And about halfway through his New Avengers run, I, I kind of got bored with the way Bendis would write. There was just so much dialogue and all the endings of his story arcs, I just felt were like super anticlimactic. So when I saw that he was writing X-Men and it, that it wasn't just X-Men, but he was writing two different X-Men titles, Uncanny and All New. And then hearing the pitch for All New was like, oh, Beast goes back in time and brings the original five X-Men to the future. I remember just like the the loudest eye roll in the history of eye rolls, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And it, it wasn't until I think his run was already over and it was all of it was on Marvel Unlimited. But I went through and I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing my read through. I'm kind of catching back up because, you know, the resurrection thing is happening. And kind of like you were like, I, I hated Inhumans versus X-Men. And like, I wasn't a big fan of the extraordinary X-Men run that was like right before that. And yeah, like you like you called it, the Dark Ages. Like so, I was getting back in, but I didn't like that stuff. So I was like, all right, I'll just go a little bit back because the last time I read was Second Coming. So I'll go back to Second Coming and I'll read everything forward from Second Coming until the, uh, till Resurrection. And I loved both of Bendis's runs, like his Uncanny and his All New. I thought they were both fantastic. I was shocked, but uh, that's cool that like we both kind of have that those were storylines that kind of brought us back in and like kept us around for the for the resurrection stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and honestly, with uh, with Ultimate Spider-Man, I 
read that recently on Marvel Unlimited, the uh, the first run, and then I haven't really gotten to the part where he dies yet. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know that's coming because then uh, Miles Morales comes into the picture and yeah. he becomes a big thing from there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm very surprised that Ultimate Spider-Man, they, that they haven't been printing like a ton of uh, trades from that because it seems to make sense as like a good entry point and it's Spider-Man in high school. And in the movies, they've been doing a lot of Spider-Man in high school. Um, yeah. Well, I was working at Barnes and Noble a few years ago uh, before I got laid off because of COVID. Uh, it, I was very surprised that we didn't really have any uh, ultimate Spider-Man. It just seemed like an obvious thing to have out there. Yeah. Yeah, big, big easy money right there. It's like, hey, you guys want to read about Teenage Spider-Man? Because these are better than going back and reading the all actual, the stuff. Yeah, the where 60s. he's just <laughs> boring and he's just never there. And it's just, I don't know. There's a lot of, there actually are a lot of good early Spider-Man stories. But I don't know. This feels like basically everything post-2000 has been borrowing from this with the genetically engineered spider and basically the fact that he actually has friends in high school. Um Stuff like that. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, it just seems like it's such an easy thing to do. Like, they'd be selling the, the crap out of those. Like, everybody would be would be grabbing that Ultimate Spider-Man stuff. And, and yeah, like, I, I stayed on for, like, the first – I think I ended up collecting, like, the first 75, but I was kind of done with it, like, right after Venom. I feel like Venom was, like, the last good arc of Ultimate Spider-Man. I think that was, like, issues – like 33 through 36. <laughs> so I ended up sticking around for another 40 issues that I didn't of a, of a book that I didn't even really like all that much, but Oh, well, yeah. All right. So, so it's funny because when, like when I came across you on, on Twitter, it seems you had like the, the knowledge and, and all these, like you knew all these obscure facts and stuff and it and it it came across like you had been like an X-Men guru for like the last 30 years but hearing your story it seems like you've maybe been an X-Men fan for for a decade. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's mostly I just pick things up from other people, you know, other people will be like this runs really cool and so I'll check it out and uh I still haven't read the Outback stuff yet, which is really surprising nice. cuz that's such a big <laughs> role, but I I did do figures from that cuz a lot of people are like, yeah, this is my definitive uh version of the x-men you know with havoc and psylocke and she's got her whole like night thing going on and stuff like that wow yeah, so it's all about very it's all, interesting yeah. <laughs> it's all about just sort of reaching out and finding new stuff nice well i mean the the cool thing with x-men is like even if you're an expert and you've been reading x-men for for your four decades you know like <laughs> Like some there's, of us have, there's, uh, there's always, always going to be something new always, to read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah very cool. Uh, okay. So interesting. So for, so only being an, an X-Men fan really for, you know, the, the better part of a decade, maybe, maybe 15 years or so, who is your favorite X character? Cause it sounds like you've had like a pretty good crash course in all of the important stuff. So how do you boil it down? Who is your favorite X character? Um, I'd say for a while it was Kate Pride, um, just because her power set is really cool. And then another thing that really got me into X Men was Astonishing X Men, um, where she's big there. And then she was big in the Claremont era. And then you know I'd 
started picking things up around the Days of Future Past trade paperback. Um, so it was cool that she was like this teacher in all new X-Men and she was like this ninja sort of jack of all trades, I guess, you know, before she even became like Star Lord and then now a pirate captain. Um, <laughs> she basically just does everything, which is like just hilarious, but really cool also. Uh, but yeah, now I think it's more of Quentin Choir, even though that's a very, very, very divisive choice because um, <laughs> most people, the first time they read him was his first appearance uh, in Riot Xavier's, where he's definitely, like, absolutely evil there. Um, he goes on a drug-filled rampage um, and just is just a nasty person. Uh, basically, Morrison said that... Uh, Quentin was like inspired by Clockwork Orange and stuff like that, and you know that's just oh, okay. a movie about horrible people, and it's very obvious, but <laughs> just completely irredeemable people. Um, but yeah, then he then he disappears for a bit, and then he shows up for a few times, and then it gets to the point where I was introduced to him in Wolverine and the X Men, where he is basically like this this edgelord, you know, he doesn't really actually have any bite. He wants people to take him seriously, and he wants people to fear him and stuff like that, but everyone's just like, oh, come here, get in the group hug. And he's just like, I hate this. <laughs> uh, but secretly, he doesn't. And that's... Yeah. Reminded me a lot of high school. Uh, I went to this really weird small high school. I think I've talked to you about it before, um, but not people listening. Uh I just went to this really weird small small school, and I was sort of the problem kid, and I uh, I just definitely related to a lot of the things that were happening with Quentin and him just trying to become a better person, and also um, sort of repeatedly having like this leadership role uh, pressed onto him, even though he's really feels like the last person qualified to do that. Like they kept trying to do that with me. Um, you know, teaching different kids to do stuff. I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know how to sit still and learn stuff. And they're like, no, you just go ahead and do it. You'll, you'll learn from them. They'll learn from you. It'll all be good. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just connected with that a lot and sort of, uh, trying to rebel and trying to, uh, just be hated by people, but then realizing that that's not really what you want and that's not, healthy and that you should sort of chill out and also he's like the only character that i can cosplay since i got glasses i mean i've tried to do indiana <laughs> jones i used to cosplay as indiana jones but then it just sort of looked weird and then i realized wait a second if i just like shave the sides of my head and you know do it all blonde and then uh get some pink in there and then i just got some stuff from the thrift store my sister helped make me uh some white t-shirts with stuff, uh, snarky stuff written in red marker. And that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I remember, uh, a couple years back, right before like the Hickman run started, there was the San Diego comic con and it was like when they were intro, they, they had announced that Hickman was, was taking over like maybe the month before, but they didn't yeah, release any Fox, information. Fox, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and like they kept everything quiet and they're like, no, 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 we'll, we'll tell you everything you want to know at Comic-Con. And I remember like 
you uh, like on Twitter, like you were the mouthpiece for all of X Twitter because yeah. like you were the only one that was there. I remember you were like live tweeting all of the panels and everything and asking questions and, and yeah, your, uh, your Quentin choir cosplay was like on point. <laughs> yeah. And then I was on the stage when they were, uh, when they were introducing the titles, they did sort of like a kind of game show where they'd get two people up and then have them guess the roster of a team. Um, <laughs> and so I was one of the first people that they picked and they had me going against the sky and, uh, well, I mean, basically, we both won because we got a signed poster from uh, Jonathan Hickman, who was there. We got to go like, oh, hey, hi. Um, but anyways, the team that I was supposed to choose characters for was Marauders. And I was just like, I don't know what to do with this because this was before they announced that it was like a pirate book um, and had nothing to do with like the original Marauders. But there's part of me that felt like I should pick something that sounds kind of piratey. So I picked like Shark Girl on there. Um, <laughs> Frenzy was on there. I can't really remember who else, but it was it was a bunch of random choices, and uh, I didn't get any. But the other guy got <laughs> one of them somehow. Oh, I think geez. he I think he guessed Storm, and yeah, she was on the team. So, dang. <laughs> and also, the audience yeah. is like hollering suggestions to you, so you're just like, oh man, no pressure. <laughs> just gotta just gotta figure this out. You're just up there, they're like they're like Quinn. What's your pick? You're like one dollar, and they're like, no, wrong like show, shark. man. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're just like shark girl, no girl. I see. I could shark girl would be good on that team, man. Like I could see a shark girl coming in real handy if you're on a pirate ship. <laughs> yeah, you know, someone's overboard, someone's drowning. She just deals with it. And you'd have that comedic nice. effect of, you know, the person's like, ah, shark. And she's like, no, I'm here to help you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, shark girl. I feel like that's a deep cut because she was only around for like a little while. And, and, and I'll be honest, like I'm not caught up on the, on the Krakoa era. So I have no idea what her status is on Krakoa or anything. But I, she was like such a short-lived character like she came she was in a couple issues and then just kind of fell off yeah she's a uh, she's had cameos in the Krakoan era I mean they've dug up a lot of a lot of weird characters for Krako like I don't know if you've gotten to sword yet but they've got like peepers is in there and I didn't even know about him before um, oh, man. but he was apparently part of a uh, team that Magneto put together as like a second brotherhood uh, in a Captain America book so he's not even like from X-Men uh, but he's just that deep of a cut. Wow. Um, yeah. The, the only, the only thing I think uh, that I can remember peepers from is, uh, he's like the first victim of predator X during uh, yeah. Messiah complex. Like he calls X factor investigations and he's like, I'm being chased. And they're like, okay, we'll come get you. And then he gets eaten and that's it. <laughs> and then if I can remember correctly, I saw somewhere like on the wiki that they just sort of forgot that he died. Um, so he just like showed up again this was before they were doing all the resurrections and everything to like characters who don't normally get resurrected who aren't like the Jean Greys and the Wolverines and those sort of characters Um, and he just showed up again and there's certain characters who have just been like that where they just get saved from death because an author sort of just missed the issue where they died (laughs) I mean they have the 
they, they at least have like the mechanism built in. Like they have the resurrection protocols. They have it built in. So if they had to, they could just be like, yeah, you know, Gold Balls was bored that day. And so he got the rest of the five together and they brought Peepers back, whatever, you know. Yeah. Have they brought back John Proudstar? Like, yes, I feel like that would be. Actually. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> these are kind of spoilers for, uh, well, no, not major spoilers. It's, I think it's almost all out on, uh, uh, Marvel Unlimited now. But, uh, there was this whole thing with the Scarlet Witch and she did some kind of mutant magic to find a way to get mutants from before the sort of cutoff period of the, uh, backups on Cerebro. And so the first thing they did was bring John Proudstar back. And, uh, it's funny because the, uh, in the new mainline X-Men title, they have a plane and they named it the Thunderbird, which I think is hilarious because he died punching a plane. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. That's probably like the last thing he wants named after him. Like, he's like, why couldn't you do like a park or something <laughs> or a bench? <laughs> Just name a plane after him. Right. Yeah. It's a sore subject. <laughs> Oh, geez. That's like, uh, do you remember the Tom Hanks movie Castaway? Yes. Where, so he's on this island, you know, for, I forget how long, quite a while. And they, they finally find him and they rescue him. And when he gets back to, like, you know, land, they have this whole, like, welcome back party. And it's a seafood buffet. And he's just standing there looking at it like, if I have to look at another crab, <laughs> and that's probably how Proudstar feels, like seeing this plane called the Thunderbird. Oh, man. Yeah. But it's interesting. <laughs> like, now we get to see him interact with his uh, younger brother, which, I mean, I'm sure maybe he did before. And, like, I haven't read Necroshi yet. It's on my list. But I know that he comes back there, I think, and a bunch of other dead characters come back to interact with others. But... Now we get to see things that we haven't seen before, like one that a meeting that hasn't happened yet that I think would be interesting to see is a uh, uh, mastermind is back and he's the biological father of Pixie. And so mm -hmm. they've never interacted before. And I think that would be an interesting way to go with that. You know, like, oh, my dad's secretly a supervillain or not secretly. He's obviously very public about it. But Yeah. <laughs> Nice. All right. So, so we're talking a lot about X-Men. This is fun. Uh, do you want to jump into our top five? Yes. I think we actually have a lot of good segues there. The, uh, <laughs> yes. Last few things we've been talking about. All right. So yeah, exactly. We're bringing, you know, talking about some of our, uh, some teenage heroes. So, so we have prepared a top five. Uh, we are going to do top five of, uh, Teenage X-Men who were introduced like in 2000 or later. So like millennial X-Men, Gen Z X-Men, uh, like, you know, the, the youngest of the young, the, the characters that are pretty much still teens at this point. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Quinn, the, the way that I usually do it is I have the guests do their number five, then, then I'll do mine and then the guest does four and then I'll do four and so on all the way down to number one. So why don't you kick us off? Who is your number five character? Okay. The first one is Bling. Uh, because I don't know, I think she's fascinating because she inter she exists at like all these intersection of a bunch of different identities, you know, like she's black and then she's also, uh, physically mutated in a way that she can't really hide. Like she's, uh, for those who don't know, she's basically like made of crystal and she can't turn that off like Emma Frost. So she's basically 
a mutant 24 seven. And so that's the thing that people are always going to see and always are going to compliment on, uh, or comment on, I mean, uh, and then basically they sort of explored, um, her relationship with trauma and generation X and sort of what it means for these young kids wanting to be X-Men and why they want to do it. Um, and she recently was in a poll for uh, joining the new X-Men team. That's a thing that they do now in the Krakoa era. Every year they have a poll and people on the internet can just vote. And usually the, all the characters are pretty obscure and it feels like a uh, even playing field. But then like the other year it was Polaris and then suddenly there were a bunch of gifted fans who came out of the woodwork and then she just basically <laughs> crushed everyone else. And now we're thinking maybe it's Firestar who won the election, but it was pretty close with, uh, I think Monet, uh, from generation huh. X. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway. I think I'm definitely guilty of voting for Polaris. Um, even though I wasn't really reading the books, like I saw the, the votes and stuff and, and definitely cast a vote for Polaris. I love the gifted man, and I, and I and I loved her in there. And, I, and I'm also a big fan of of '90s X Factor. I know that it, yeah. the quality kind of tailed off uh, after Peter David left, but uh, I just I love Polaris in that book as well. So, <laughs> and also uh, Bling's name is really fun. Just that she has it all caps exclamation marks. So it's always Bling. Nice. Uh, for me, on, on my list for number five, I have, since we just mentioned her, uh, Pixie. I have Pixie on my list, uh, Megan Gwynn. I just love that character. Uh, I've got some Welsh blood in me, you know, like, like most white Americans. Almost 100% of my ancestors are, are European, uh, most of them from the UK. Uh, and so I have a, a large portion of, of Welsh blood. So hearing that there's like a character and they even threw, uh, every time she talks, they manage to throw in like Welsh slang and everything. Yeah. I just think it's so fun. Um, I, I just love her look. You know, she's just she's like cute, but also kind of scary looking with like the eyes and stuff. And, and I think that her power set is somewhat interesting. You know, she's not just a character with wings. She can do a few other things with those wings and then like tying her to magic a little bit with the soul dagger. I thought that was like just a really fun twist to uh to get a little bit more magic especially from a character called pixie like it would make sense that she has some sort of magic you know because she's obviously a fey type character so i just i really like pixie i know that uh she's never really like at the top of of anyone else's list but she definitely gets mentioned in, in books and, and put in books all the time as like a background character i just love it whenever she pops up yeah Okay, so my number four is Brew, and I think it's interesting that he's a mutant, but not a homo superior mutant. So he's sort of an outsider wherever he goes. You know, his own kind want to just eat and impregnate everyone, so he can't really relate to them. And then everyone else is like, oh, you're an alien. Uh, but I like how he's one of the few kids um, sort of in his class in the uh, Jean Grey school class from Wolverine and the X-Men, who is just, like, trying to be a good kid. It's just him and Evan Sabanur. Uh, and he just, like, he just wants to do the right thing, and he's just this sweet little guy, and he, you know, he wants to be a vegetarian, even though it's revealed that, like, he's really guilty that he, like, sometimes at night goes out in the woods and just kills a deer and eats on his flesh. And 
I don't know. You feel bad for him. He's just he's just this little guy. Oh man, Brew. Oh, I love that pick. I love that pick. Okay, your turn. All right. So for my number four, uh, I went with Fabio Medina, aka Gold Balls. Um, I'm pretty sure in Krakoa now he's Egg or yep. something um, as part of the five. Uh, but I just loved as as Gold Balls. It was one of those characters. You know, we were talking about it a little bit earlier how uh, Bendis wrote All-New X-Men as well as Uncanny X-Men. And, and as much as I loved Bendis's All-New X-Men run, I think that run is like what sold me because that was the run at like immediately after all of like the attempted, the, the, the very sloppy uh, character assassination on Cyclops that they did during AVX, which I'm not going to talk. I, I hate AVX and I'll just leave it there. Uh, but they they transformed Cyclops into kind of like this revolutionary. Like ever since Messiah Complex, he'd been taking this uh, a harder and harder line in his stance on protecting mutants. And he was kind of, you know, sort of going from Xavier's dream closer to Magneto's dream. And that uncanny run is like it cemented Cyclops to me as like the heir apparent for the future of, of mutant kind. Yeah. Obviously things change and stuff, but, <laughs> but that run is what really did it. And the, the group of teenagers that they got on their team, cause that was the team where it was like the adults were Scott and Emma and, uh, Eric. Magic. Who and then, or and then magic was like the, <laughs> oh yeah. And so magic was like kind of the, the go between, you know, she was younger than all of them, but she was also older than all the new kids. And so she was mostly in there, as like, you know, one of the four main leaders and all that. But I just loved that team. And and I remember after, I can't remember if it was like right about the end and they were getting into to IVX. And so Cyclops had, had already died or if maybe the, the teenagers just left because they, they finally disagreed with Cyclops enough. But there's that whole sequence where like the teens actually go out on their own and become like superheroes. And I just loved like every time he would run into battle, he would just yell gold balls and just like shoot the balls everywhere. And like the sound effect, like making poink all the time. It was like one of those characters when you read about conceptually, you're like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work. But then when you read it, it's just so much fun and refreshing because the, cause that uncanny book was like a super serious book. And uh, Gold Balls just brought so much levity and, and so much fun to it. So I've got uh, I've got Gold Balls at number four. Yep, and I I love that he's uh, from San Diego because I was born and raised there, and so you know I guess we have a character. <laughs> and I guess Ink is also from San Diego, but everyone hates him, and I hate him, and <laughs> it's better to just not <laughs> talk about him. <laughs> He's not even like a controversial uh, figure. Agreed. He's not like Quentin where there's people who love him, people who hate him. Everyone's like, yeah, no, I, I let's not talk about that guy. <laughs> let's hope he never shows up I again. Think, I think, uh, first of all, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and I, I think the hate for Ink comes down to the fact that like every time Guggenheim does an X book, he just yeah. forces Ink yeah. on everybody, you know? And he's like, this is the best character. And everyone's like, nope, no thanks, pass. And after him doing that, what, like three times, everyone's like, no, we're over ink from that forever. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of there's a lot of characters, um, a lot of younger characters, I mean, who are like the creator's pets, like uh, 
Briston has the uh, the two French twins who are like all pale and stuff, mm. and they got introduced right. in uh, uh, the Exterminated. I think it was called. It was the one. It was the story arc where the O five finally go home. Uh, but then he had them a lot in New Mutants and stuff like that. But it never felt like they were sort of forced on you the way that Ink was. Where, you know, it was like, oh, of course they choose Ink for their go-away team. Of course Ink's here. Of course Ink's in their sort of version of Days of Future Past as like a survivor out there. (laughs) You just wanted to make it happen, and everyone was like, no thanks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So uh, Uh, All right, so who do you have uh, for number three, Quinn? uh, My number three is Armor, uh, because... I like that she's sort of headstrong and she doesn't take anything from anyone, even Wolverine. (laughs) Like she's just not intimidated by him, which is just funny. And then also I, I like that her power set is just really unique. You know, we've had characters who create shields and force fields and things like that before, but to make it like this, you know, armor that encases her, um, basically she's one of those characters who, almost always like shows up in crowd shots because there's uh, she's just so recognizable. And I feel like that's the way that a lot of these younger characters are like Pixie and armor and uh, like rock slide. They just sort of stand out, you know? So this is fun. I also have armor as my number three character. Um, Hisako Ichiki. Uh, I, I loved her from like her first appearance in the in the Astonishing X Men run from from yeah. Whedon and Cassidy. I loved that book. Uh, I, I told you, you know, I, when I was getting back to comics, I was reading um, Ultimate X Men. I wasn't really reading too much of whatever else was was happening. I think it was like the second half of of the Morrison run was going on at the time, and I don't even know what else was going on in like uncanny or extreme at that point. Uh, but when the astonishing series launched, like I was there day one picking up issue one. I think I still have like three copies of, of issue of astonishing X-Men number one, just like sitting in a long box in my garage uh, because I was like convinced that it was going to change the X-Men forever. And I, and I really felt that it did like it gave us a team of highly recognizable Characters, you got Cyclops and Beast and uh, Wolverine on the team, so like three mainstays. Plus, they brought over Emma, and like I hated what they had done with Scott and Emma the, you know, in the Morrison run. And like this, I was finally starting to like make my peace with it, and I was like, all right, this is the this is the status quo now. And like she's actually pretty cool in this, so like yeah, I'm like I'm a Gene and Scott. You know, I'm a jot shipper, uh, but like I was kind of getting, what do they call it? Schema? Like I was starting yeah. to, I was, I, I started to see why people liked it. Um, and then bringing Kitty in, like I wasn't really a huge Kitty fan quite yet. Uh, I think I was too old really by the time I got to the Claremont run to really understand why so many people loved Kitty. But oh, yeah. she was still like a pretty fun character in, in X-Men Evolution. So like seeing her on there and I was like, all right, cool. Like I, I, I like Kitty. Okay. And then all the stuff they did. Um, but like they didn't really get too in, in detail with like the teenagers at the school. You know, those stories were being told in different books, but armor was kind of the one that like made it onto the team. You know, at the very end when they go to the break world, like she's the student that ends up going along with them and she partners up with Wolverine. And like you'd mentioned, like her attitude, she she has a very different attitude than almost all of the other 
you know, teen era, you know, the new X-Men era. She yeah. seems to have like a, just a different attitude than all the other teenagers that are in her same age group. And like I, her, like you said, her power set is so great. So, so yeah, I, I, I had to throw armor in there too. I love armor. She's so cool. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, next up I have Pixie. Uh, basically because a lot of the reasons that you said, but like, I don't know, it's great that she has so many things going on for her, you know, and it doesn't feel too busy for the character. Like, I guess she just started out, you know, she can fly and she can kind of create hallucinogenic sort of stuff that makes people see all kinds of things that aren't going on. Um, and then they introduce magic and then, or magic into her story, um, both uppercase and lowercase magic. Uh, so then she's got, you know, the soul dagger and she's got teleportation and she's got all this kinds of cool stuff going on. Um, and I like the idea that she was the magic of a new generation, but instead of like turning out all moody and gothic sort of like she's still this bright, preppy person. Uh, and that. Yeah. And also the sort of revelations that have come on later on about her as I mentioned, her dad being mastermind and the mastermind mm-hmm. sisters being her half sisters. That's a fun, weird family dynamic. I love when X-Men families are just chaotic, <laughs> which is all the time. Yes. The X-Men family. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all of them. <laughs> it's a staple, you know, it's, it's the trope. Like you have to have, uh, there's a reason why everybody refers to, to X-Men as, you know, the best soap opera comic. And it's this it's stuff like that. It's exactly why. It was just like everything that you can think of that's weird has happened in X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Your turn. Oh, man. Just like the same characters, just in different orders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So so for me, for for my number two, I have uh, I have brew <laughs> on there as uh, well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember hearing about. Wolverine and the X-Men comic on a, on a different podcast. And they, they were talking about it and they were just saying, it's like, it was a, a wonderfully weird story. And I had like no idea what was going on. So when, when I came across that series on, on Marvel Unlimited, I was like, all right, I'm not even going to think twice. I'm going to start reading right away. And like the first story arc, I think with like, I think it was like Cade Kilgore. And it was like the kids that made the hellfire club, but they were all like nine year olds. Yeah. I was like, what am I reading? This is the weird, like, this is the weirdest thing I've read. Like, here's a school with where Wolverine is the, the, the friggin' headmaster. Yeah. And the, the, like, the arch enemies are like this group of like four nine year olds. Like, this is weird, but it was good. It was good weird. So yeah. I didn't stop. I just kept reading and it, and it only got better. And, uh, and, and yeah, for me, Brew was like the standout character. Like you said, he's like the one kid, well, and, and Evan, uh, who like want to be good kids, you know? Uh, and I like he was like he was like miniature beast, right? Yeah, yeah looking guy, but he's also like guy. a genius. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I love he would always wear like his glasses on his little brood face, and like even though he had these like scary razor sharp teeth, he was just like this adorable kid. Uh, but my favorite part of him was like when he f- was first introduced to um, Idy. Oh yeah. And, and he's love like triangle there. <laughs> yes, it was a very weird love triangle, which is par for the course on that book. Uh, but he's like 
experiencing these physiological phenomena that he's never experienced before. And he's like commenting on it as it's happening. And it's just like the most awkward, adorable way to tell a girl that you think she's pretty. Oh man. I just, I loved brew. (laughs) Yeah. And I love how just sort of innocent he is like how he'll just be like, Oh yeah, today I was doing good in class. And then Quentin complimented me on my Brown nose. It's just like, <laughs> just like I have no idea. He's just like, oh yeah, everyone, Quentin's my best buddy. He loves me. Oh man. All right. So, man, this, we've gone through this list pretty quick. All right. Who do you have in your number one spot? It's, it's Quentin. It's, uh, I just, I, I figured. Yeah. I mean, I, I went over a lot of the reasons already, but also, um, I think he just is sort of like a weird fit in that he's sort of an update on a lot of trends. Like he's, you know, the X-Men villain because like half the people who are part of the X-Men have once tried to kill the X-Men. It's probably even more than half. Uh, <laughs> but he's sort of like an update on that, on the villain becoming just like a a character on the X-Men. Um, and then also he's like, the next step in Wolverine sidekicks, which is weird because he's the only one who's not a teenage girl. Um, <laughs> like you've got Kitty Pride, you've got Jubilee, you've got Armor, you've got probably other ones that I'm missing. And then it gets to Quentin and it's just like, okay, that's, that's like a really like weird pairing there, you know, him being all old and gruff and tough and all that. And Quentin's just like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> And he just makes fun of him for it. And I love how he's he's really meta. Like, he wears around, like, the Days of Future Pasta t-shirt. And he's always, like, commenting, like, oh, yeah, of course we crashed in the Savage Land. Like, what what do you think happens when the X-Men fly over the Savage Land? And he's just very genre-savvy. And I love that they paired him up with uh, Gwenpool in West Coast Avengers. Because it just makes sense that he would, like, end up with someone who believes that the world is a comic book because he's always just paying attention to these trends and he's just like why aren't you guys noticing this like everything just repeats itself like the x-men come back from the dead all these things happen the way that they're supposed to happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh and also because he's basically jeff the land shark's dad so that's (laughs) Jeff's like my favorite comic character now (laughs) (laughs) nice uh, there's this uh, there's this tabletop game called Marvel United. It was a Kickstarter game, and then character, and then yep, he's got Jeff with them. <laughs> yep, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, on the on the base of the little character uh, mini, yeah, Jeff's there. <laughs> I think there's a there's like a Jeff the Land Shark. Um, one of the special powers it lets. Uh, is like a Jeff power. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And then I heard that like they added him as sort of like a side to a video game. And then he got his action figure that came out and then the spinoff series on Marvel unlimited. Um, and basically someone made a TikTok of him and he just like exploded in popularity <laughs> everywhere. And so it's just really cool. It's just really cool to have like seen in the solicits for one of the issues for, um, for West Coast Avengers, they're like, oh yeah, and Gwenpool adopts the land shark. Like, oh, this is gonna be the coolest thing ever. And just to, <laughs> just to see that, like, play out from just reading the solicit and having no idea what's coming. 
and just watching this character just blow up and then eventually he's probably going to be in the MCU, you know, probably like in Deadpool 3 or something, like eating Deadpool's charred remains and being really cute and stuff like that, but also really weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how, how Deadpool will work, you know, within the MCU and uh, and Gwenpool as well, you know, it's a... Yeah. A, a different take on on the like the Deadpool theme, you know, the, the the Deadpool mold. So so yeah, definitely curious about seeing how how that works out. But yeah, Quentin Quire, I loved. Um, he, he he starts off like you said as like a Clockwork Orange guy, um, and then he ends up in like Wolverine and the X Men. He's like the bender of the team. Yeah, um, you know, if, if like the teens of of Wolverine and the X Men were the Breakfast Club, like. Quinn Choir is like easily the bender, um, and, and and he's just kind of like filled that persona ever since. So same thing when in, in Strains Generation X that was so good, but he was still that that guy that was like kind of on the outside looking in, even though he loved being in the middle of everything. Like, but he would always position himself on the outside, so it would seem like he was looking in. But yeah, it was so great, uh, and that selfless act, you know, to to fix Jubilee. At the very oh, yeah, end of, of Strain's run, like that, because like up to that point, I was like, all right, like I don't hate this guy anymore. He's actually really funny. Uh, but like that was the moment for me that solidified, like, dude, I like this guy. This guy is is awesome. Yeah. Oh, and and I like his like psionic shotgun thing that he uses. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, he's it's been, so Quentin. <laughs> basically, his powers. He's been using them in like all kinds of ways in Percy's uh, X Force. Um, and I don't know how much of it is Percy writing and how much of it is like the artist just riffing on whatever he's doing. But basically he does this thing where he like embellishes all of his, uh, just speech with like displaying different things. Like he, you know, he talks about his relationship with Sophie Cuckoo and he like brings up this little image of her and then he talks about Omega Red and he has these like psionic tendrils that just come out, uh, just while he's talking about things, just the emphasis and the underline everything. Uh, just in weird little ways. It's yeah, almost that, like this subconscious thing that he does. That's very cool. I got to start. I think, oh man, on uh, so on Percy's X-Force, I'm like six issues in maybe something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not to, I'm not, I was like, I was making an attempt to get caught back up um, at least with what's on unlimited. And then uh, it just kind of fell off and, and I'm like, six or seven issues into every series, but that's about as far as I've gotten. So I, I really need to just like kind of kick my butt into gear and, and, and get going on it. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets to X of swords, which is just, I don't know. I love all the new characters that they, uh, that they introduced in there and they introduced solemn who's basically, uh, like Wolverine's new newest nemesis. Just cause he has a ton of them. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the latest in a long line of them. He's got adamantium skin. Oh, and geez. from uh, Araco, which is basically the anti-Krako. Uh, it's basically <laughs> all these other mutants from like prehistory who hung out with uh, Apocalypse. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool stuff. I'd definitely recommend it. Yeah, I mean, they pretty much have like every title and, and like all of the, that first wave, I think they have like everything on there. Yeah. Um, everything up to the, the election, I think. Um, 
is available on, on unlimited. So, I mean, like the whole, what, first year and a half or first two years of, of that era, I think are on there. And, and there's a lot of it. So it's not like it would take me, it's not like I would just like jump on and be done with it in, in a week. Like it would, it would take quite a while, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just need to, need to get on it. I wish they would, uh, on Marvel unlimited, they would release things the way they do in trades. Um, because a lot of the times it'll, like, omit, um, like, annuals and stuff like that. And then also for, like, certain events, certain events they have them categorized together. But um, in some cases it's just, like, finding the reading order is something that you have to do yourself. And, uh, yeah, they they make some trades where uh, it's, like, just Dawn of X and Reign of X, and they basically have all the issues as they chronologically happen with one another. So it makes sense whenever they like reference one another in ways mm-hmm. that you probably wouldn't get just individually reading them. Um, I don't know. I wish they would put those out though, digitally, like they would collect them in that way. So you could also read it that way if you wanted. Yeah, that would be cool. But, uh, anyways, on to your number one. All right. So, so my number one, I went with, and, and you can let me know if you think that this counts. Uh, because she's not really portrayed as a teen much anymore. She's kind of portrayed more like the same age as like the original generation X mutants now. Like she's almost uh, been Laura. aged up. Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> like she's been aged up. Like she's the same age as like Jubilee now. Like they've kind yeah. of aged her up ever since, uh, ever since all new Wolverine, which is fine. I'm okay with that. Cause I, I mean, I love Laura. Uh, so, I mean, you can let me know if you think that counts. Laura Kinney as X-23. She, she definitely the counts. Only I mean, she was a teenage character, like, way back when, when some of the others <laughs> were characters. The the aging of characters is just always super messy, because, like, the new mutants are now basically 20-somethings, but then Generation X is also basically 20-somethings, and then they're kind of <laughs> starting to write some of the, the teenage characters as, like, very late teenagers or you know, maybe even, like, the earliest 20s, like, uh, Anole, the, uh, the lizard kid with the big arm, he's, a uh, he's always working at the Green Lagoon bar, and it's, oh. like, is he even old enough to, like, drink? Like, <laughs> everyone's always wondering that, because sometimes they draw him, like, this tiny little kid, you know, like, he's 12 years old or something, and other times he's just, like, this, this guy just working at the bar, and so that's just become a big thing that people talk about because it just doesn't make any sense. Like how old is this kid supposed to be? Nice. <laughs> uh, but anyways, Laura. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, come on, like it's, it's Wolverine. Uh, I, I, I got to stay on brand. So, so I went with yeah. Laura, but I, I just, I love Laura. I remember reading her first appearance in the comics and like not even expecting it and like not putting two and two together when she was on the cover, but NYX number five, like I, that was just one of those comics that since I was going to the shop and like no one seemed to be buying it, I was like, ah, I'll just pick it up and I'll read it. And like getting to that issue and being like, oh, my gosh, like that was the, the girl from from X-Men Evolution. Oh, it's like she's in here. And then just her whole story arc all the way up to like taking on the mantle and then getting on the team. Uh, like I saw that she was on on that same like the Polaris team that she was like the she was the Wolverine yeah. of the X Men so like it's definitely a title that she's earned it's a mantle that she she has more than succeeded uh, but yeah I, I had a backup in case you didn't allow me to have Laura because I was gonna make you you know 
give you the the final say. Uh, but my backup would have been Gabby anyway. <laughs> like honey badger. Yeah. Like I'd have just thrown her as number one. Oh, I love her. So. I don't know why I didn't put her in mine. I just love. I don't know, she's so quotable. Like the whole like oh yeah, I love being a political prisoner. Or, no, a political exile or something like that. Uh, in X Men Red, like I just I really need to get down and read uh, all new Wolverine all the way through. Yeah, it's I mean, something that I've been. It's on my list. I mean, it's only like twenty five issues. Like you should be able to do that pretty good, like yeah. pretty quickly. And like they're fun. Like it's the the story arcs are fun. Like it's a quick twenty five. I, I think it was like twenty seven or twenty eight, something like that. The the because it ended with old woman Laura. Uh, the last I think the last two issues. Um, but yeah, like it was a short run and and it's good. Like I said, like it's it's super quick. Um, and it has like all the best cameos and guest appearances from those like four years that it existed. If it was even that two years, maybe that, that it was around like Deadpool, you got some Deadpool in there. You got a little bit of squirrel girl. You got, uh, I think I want to say Gwenpool, but maybe I'm misremembering something. Um, and then like later on, you got Captain Marvel showing, I mean, old man Logan's in a couple issues, the, like the guardians make an appearance. I mean, like, all the, the all the greatest hits uh, make appearances in the various story arcs, and like in my opinion, like that was the best thing that Tom Taylor has written. Yeah, and they're Wolverines. Like, of course, exactly. they're gonna uh, meet and gonna like know everybody. For Marvel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Yeah, Laura Kinney, X twenty three, all new Wolverine, my number one pick. Yeah. And I think with that, Quinn, we can. Uh, jump into our episode breakdown. What do you say? Yeah. So, Bubs, tonight's episode is X-Men, the animated series, season two, episode 11, Mojo Vision. This episode first premiered on February 5th, 1994, and it was written by Brooks Wachtel, or Wachtel, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but there you go, and I believe it was the first episode of the show that he has written so far. So, Quinn, like I was saying, I usually have my guests kind of walk us through the opening sequence, so why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Okay, so we start off with Longshot, and he is surrounded by all these weird demons and monsters and already some of them kind of vaguely look like the brood um which is funny because that's a thing that's going to come up later um but they aren't the brood they're just they're just supposed to be generic like monsters you know he's fighting in this exciting tv show and then we cut to him getting away in like this this uh hover car and he is destroying these robots and he's going through all these action scenes and he's underwater in a submarine and he attacks this weird alien octopus thing, which, I don't know, kind of seemed like he was minding his own business, but it doesn't matter now. <laughs> he torpedoed that guy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just wrote here in my notes, like, did Mojo obtain, like, a real alien octopus there, like he does with his actors, or is it just, like, a digital one? Like, all the other things, like all the robot characters he's gotten there. Um, we'll never know, because it cuts away, and then it's, like, a Psylocke looking woman with like kind of palish purple hair, kind of like her classic hair. Um, but you know, she's got the whole ninja outfit thing going on and then it cuts to another shot. And like, I can't imagine anyone catching this when it was on TV, like way before streaming and you could just pause things anytime. Um, 
look at it crystal clear, but he's fighting a super adaptoid from the Avengers, which is just the thing that I noticed there. <laughs> and then we uh, get to a TV title card, which uh, is funny because it looks like one from the X-Men animated series intro. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, I had that written down too. like X-Men title card, only long shot. I, I'm curious because in in the book uh, previously on X-Men by Eric Leewald, it, when he's talking about this episode, he mentions the fact that we don't have the normal X-Men intro, that it starts with Longshot. And I'm, I'm wondering if like when this actually aired on TV, if they actually skipped the, the like normal opening sequence of all the X-Men and, and of course the iconic song. And, if, and I'm wondering if they like actually was... started. Because I was, I was thinking uh, when I was watching that, because the version on Disney Plus has the regular intro in there, I was just thinking, like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if they did, like, a Mojo intro? And that, that definitely makes sense that if you cut the regular intro out of there. That's definitely what it looks like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so he gets out of all that, and I noticed that uh, he's with these two women, and one of them looks like Dazzler from her Outback look, which was also the look from... Uh, the pride of the X-Men pilot that she was in where she's got the short hair and like the blue jacket and everything. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Quinn, because, uh, cause I'm not sure. So you're mentioning that the, one of the women is, is clearly Dazzler. Is the other one, is that supposed to be like a, a callback to Ricochet Rita? Maybe. I, I don't know. I didn't really notice. Yeah. I, I, I think she might've been. Yeah. I, I've only read the long shot mini one time, uh, and I, and, and I had to force myself through it. And, and it's not like it was bad. Like it's Anne Nocenti and like she knows her way around a story and the artwork is Art Adams. So I mean, like it, it, they're, they're a good creative team. I just, I don't know, like that store, that whole mini just like couldn't capture me. And so I, I just kind of had to like force my way through. And really the only thing that I remember from that is Quark. And I think the only reason why I remember that he was in that comic is because I had his action figure in the 90s and I never knew who he was. And it was only like decades later going through that mini and being like, oh, hey, Quark, that's that's the action figure I had. But like, that's all that I remember from from that mini. I'll have to uh, make one of him one day. <laughs> Just do a, a long shot mojo sort of series. That would be um, cool. <laughs> I mean, I already did long shot for the Outback, and I did Mojo. That's like one of my favorite ones with his spider legs and everything. But, mm-hmm. anyways, I do love this character though that Anasenti created. Like, it feels like he's always going to be relevant. There's always going to be some kind of commentary about media or television or whatever form it takes. There's always going to be entertainment, and there's always going to be a way to fit Mojo into that as sort of this, you know, slimy, literally, executive who will basically just do anything for ratings. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and so at that point, I, I believe Major Domo comes in and uh, he, he shows Mojo the, the footage of the X-Men. And it's like pretty much just like a clip show, you know, of yeah. like the greatest hits of, of so far the first season and a half of, of X-Men, which I love. Like, I, I love it when I know it's like corny and, and fans usually don't like that, but I love when shows like reuse 
old clips, you know, and it's like, I'm a sucker for it. I know that they're just manipulating my emotions, but, but I'm here for it. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. I love that. Yeah. And then <laughs> so they, reuse the, they reuse the uh, intro. Yeah. So it's funny, yes. that, you know, they're, you're, they're watching X-Men, the animated series on X-Men, the animated series. <laughs> um, and then there's a part where uh Longshot calls Mojo out and he like, he calls him like a sleazebag or something like that. I can't remember the exact insult, but you know, Mojo does basically the whole like considering insults as compliment thing. You know, where they're <laughs> yeah. where whenever you have like a gross character, they sort of like just everything is opposite logic. You know, like uh, it always makes me think of Monsters Inc. How they have odorant that they oh. keep in their. Uh, <laughs> It smells like wet dog and stuff, and they keep that in their lockers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they always, like, gross characters always seem to, to revel in their grossness, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it cuts to the, like, just like a circuit city at the mall, and uh, Gene and Scott are on probably the world's most romantic date. They are <laughs> buying a new... Uh, CRT television, you know, state of the art for, for 1994, uh, from this like used television salesman. It's like we're getting the vibes and the, you know, the guy's making a sale. Oh yeah, we have the best TVs and, uh, wait till you see the remote. The, the remote is real fancy and stuff. And like Scott, of course, is not going to be bamboozled. And I feel like Scott would be the worst customer to sell anything to because he's not quite as over the top as Dwight from the office, but he's like, he very much has that attitude of like, I'm a better negotiator than anyone ever will be ever, you know, like that sort of air to him. Uh, and like, while they're discussing with that guy, like Mojo's face pops up on like one of the TVs and he, you know, he starts gabbing at the X-Men. Yeah. And that, that part's just really like creepy, but also kind of funny at the same time, just the fact that you can see them and no matter like, how much of the store's property that they destroy is going to keep showing up. Like nothing can stop him. He's like this kind of crazy sort of Looney tune. Um, but then, you know, uh, Jean gets knocked out, <laughs> well, but it's, it's funny because it's only temporary. Like she like gets up like a few seconds later. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, Mojo's trying to sell them sell Scott this whole pitch about like, Hey, you should come on my show. Come on. We'll come over. We'll have a lunch, you know? Um, and obviously Scott isn't having any of that. He just doesn't want to put up with this weird man. Who's showing up on the, this weird alien man. That's showing up on these TVs and just <laughs> trying to cast him in some weird interdimensional TV show. I mean, I'd probably, well, no, I don't know if I'd say no to that or not, but, <laughs> I don't know. If I was Scott in the animated series, I would definitely be like, no, get out of my face. Just let me buy this television or use Professor X's money to buy this television. <laughs> whoever's paying for this stuff that Jubilee breaks. <laughs> I like that like, it's a television, you know, and, it, and it's not like Scott would ever be caught dead watching anything other than like the news on yeah. that TV. Yeah. He's like really concerned that he's getting the top of the line. He's like, I really want the highest resolution to see the, the news anchors face. <laughs> Cause yeah. 
Like that's the only thing that we've ever seen Scott watch is is the news. <laughs> I'll be like, why does the resolution matter? Like you're looking at it through a visor. Like that's that's not got to be the, like the greatest way to look at a TV. <laughs> through these weird like crystal red lenses. Oh yeah, but I, I like his uh his solution too. Is like, oh, I'll make Mojo go away by I'll just blast every single TV yeah. in the store. <laughs> I'm just thinking about like the store owner they're talking to like a few seconds ago. Just like, his old reaction, like especially after all these scenes when everyone's gone, like him just being like, "What do I do now?" <laughs> yeah, this, um, this, his insurance is never going to believe him. <laughs> yeah, he's after him with eye beams. But anyways, uh, <laughs> Mojo is, like, talking to him on the TV, and then he belches, and he's like, oh, yeah, it must have been that producer I had for lunch. I I don't know. I, I love the whole idea of characters who are villains, and they just nonchalantly just drop things like, oh, yeah, I just ate a guy. No big deal. <laughs> I just consumed an entire person. No big deal. Just gives me indigestion. Don't like that. But, you know, tasty overall. No regrets. And then Wolverine goes, oh, what is this, the 4th of July? And he, because, you know, they're shooting everything up and there's all the colors and explosions and everything. Yeah, I love that part where, like, Wolverine and Storm and Beast come in and they see Cyclops just, like, breaking TVs and they're like, oh, it's TV breaking time. Yeah. <laughs> it's our turn. Beast has the classic uh, hat and trench coat thing. No one's going to notice him. He's like the thing or Raphael. He's just... He's invisible now. He's a normal guy at the mall. Uh, but anyway, Spiral shows up, and then she starts zapping all the X-Men, and they go to the Mojoverse, um, but not before Jean trips over this cord that's just strung along, like, I don't know, a few inches above the floor, and it's just sticking out there. Uh, giant OSHA violation. Someone's going to get sued. <laughs> Because it's just insane. It's not against like the wall or anything. It's just it's just sticking out there, waiting for someone to trip and uh, break their neck or something. So, so watching this episode, I, I watched it like once today to, to finalize my notes, and, and I watched it a couple of times last weekend. And both times I watched it, my son, my my younger son, who had appeared on the show a couple episodes ago, he was watching with me, and we got to that part where Gene trips over the cord. And he made me go back and rewatch it like four or five times in a row. He was just dying with laughter. Like just he's like, How stupid do you have to be? Like, like, oh man. And I was like, Oh, poor Jean, you know, like no wonder that like her uh I don't know, Quinn, if you collect the Marvel Legends action figures. Oh, yeah. But they're working on the uh, the animated series line and they just released the the um the shots of Jean Grey and like in neither she has two faces and neither of them is she smiling. Like she just kind of looks sad and defeated with both of her faces. And it's like, yeah, no wonder like Jean never smiles in this show because she's always tripping or like getting knocked passing out. out under the strain, you know? Yeah. So like, I, I kind of think that like those two faces are spot on for the character, but that's just me. Yeah. I love, I I think those versions of the action figures are really cool, like how they find ways to differentiate them from just the regular versions of the Jim Lee outfits and yeah. how they just find ways to, like, make it look like it's animated, like the lighting on it is a certain way. And just the uh, Wolverine doing the, the meme of him <laughs> looking at oh, the yeah. picture in bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, yeah, I, I like the uh, the crowd too. So so Spiral comes in, she teleports all the X Men to the Mojo Verse, and they're like trapped in this like weird glass box in what seems to be like a, an arena. And it's like the broadcast arena, and there's like stands and stuff, and there's all these different people and aliens and, and, and funky looking guys in there, and you know it's like this raucous crowd. It's all they're all cheering and everything, and I, I don't know if like I haven't had any of these confirmed, but like when the camera pans through the crowd, there's a bunch of different aliens that have like very obviously human faces. And I'm pretty sure that those are just like the different executives on the show. Yeah. That's one of them thinking. that has really big ears, but like the, the glasses and the facial hair, like he looks just like Eric Leewald looked in the nineties. So I'm pretty sure that was him. Uh, but yeah, I just liked all the different, there's like a, a cameo from like a nineties indie comic called concrete about like a sentient block of concrete. Oh, uh, wow. I didn't and, notice uh, that. And, and one of the characters looked like, and I, I don't know if it was supposed to be, but one of the characters looked like Farron from Excalibur, that like really kind of deep cut Excalibur, like mystical guy that was supposed to be the Phoenix host, but couldn't be because Rachel was. It was, oh. yeah, real, real weird. I noticed too, uh, there were some scrolls in there. And yeah. then also the awesome android from Fantastic Four. Yes. Guy with like the big blockhead. <laughs> so those were the two that I noticed out there. And then so basically Mojo goes through his whole thing um, about, you know, uh, uh, Longshot basically just being this has-been and how the X-Men are going to be his new stars. And uh, I love there's this part where Major Domo, he's trying to figure out Longshot's name, just like I was a few seconds ago. And then he reminds him, long shot, oh, depraved omelet. <laughs> and then so basically uh, uh, Mojo is trying to hype things up and he's talking about how everything's going to be crazy and it's going to be violent. And he's like, yeah, the crowd wants entertainment. They want blood and guts and love and hate. And I'm like, uh, not if standards and practices can have anything to say about it. <laughs> They'll fight robots. We'll compromise there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but anyways, they're all like, oh, yeah, no, we don't use uh, violence to just solve any problem or do anything on a whim. And it's funny because they just never cut to Wolverine's reaction to any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine him just being like, speak for yourself, lady. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, Mojo's like, let's get on with the show. And uh, he, he just starts randomly grabbing like two X-Men at a time and just like randomly putting them into TV series. And so the first two X-Men that he grabs are Storm and Cyclops, and he puts them into a new show. And so we get to see like a kind of like an opening title, and it's Miami Mutants. It starts off with uh, with Storm and Cyclops in like a speedboat being chased by these like plane type things uh and so i think cyclops shoots some down and, and storm knocks a couple down and then the speedboat turns into a plane and so they start flying around but eventually storm is like why would i fly in a like weird open cockpit plane when i can just fly <laughs> so she does they they take out some guys and uh like you know i feel like it it ended with like their boat thing blowing up and then they were like 
the Miami Mutants show ended and in this weird arena, he just has like these like six glass, like just glass blocks, I guess. Yeah. Like these just slabs (laughs) that they put on kind of like Han Solo and Carbonate. They're just like frozen in there. Yeah, just just a slab. And so we have like a... Yes, yeah. <laughs> we have like the static like, images really of, weird, of Storm like, and Cyclops pose. <laughs> the way that he's frozen, <laughs> he's just like got his hand on his hip and he's got his arm up and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, and I love how in the Miami Mutants, the the whole Miami Vice thing where they the boat has a button that just says "Hit me" on it, and that's how they turn it into an airplane. Like Cyclops does, doesn't even yeah. question what it is. He's just like, "I'm going to press the button." Let's see what happens. <laughs> Feeling dangerous. It was like it was like he knew it was going to be a plane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like of course this button that says "hit me" turns in, into a plane. Yeah, what else would it be? <laughs> okay, so they're all frozen back, and everyone's all upset about that. And then Rogue and Beast get beamed into Rogue Star, which if the last one is supposed to be Miami Vice. I feel like. The, at least the titles for this is tr- trying to uh, riff off of Star Trek The Next Generation, kind of like with the music and the, the, the look of it. I mean, the rest of the episode doesn't, really. Um, but I love how it says uh, Hank McCoy as the Beast and then Rogue as Rogue. Uh, because I didn't even know that <laughs> this until recently about Rogue's name being Anna Marie coming, like, after the movie, I think. Like how she yeah. didn't have a name forever. And I I had no idea about that until recently. I heard about it on a podcast. Um, oh wow! So it's it's just funny that Rogue was just Rogue. You know, you've got Remy Laboo, you got you've got everyone. Everyone's got their names, and then Rogue is just Rogue. <laughs> no one bothers to ask. <laughs> yeah, all the '90s trading cards I had, it would, it would always have like real name, and then hers would always just say unrevealed. <laughs> I guess the cat's out of the bag now. Um, so anyways, they're on the ship. They're outmaneuvering lasers. There's, you know, a bigger ship. Uh, and then a pod gets shot at them. And then these sort of, I think they're supposed to be the brood, but they look like a sort of bootleg brood. Uh, they start crawling into the ship. And uh, I don't know why they're so different looking, though. I wonder if it was like they were told that the original designs were too scary or something. And so they're just like, okay, we'll give them, like, cute little eyes. That'll be fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, just happy smiles broods. But, I mean, they still had the, the six, like, pointed legs and the, and the, the double spike tail yeah. thing. Like, they they still looked like brood. And, 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 yeah. and this part is uh, is super interesting, Quinn, because in, in future seasons, there's an episode called Love in Vain that has to do with this alien species, this like insectoid alien species that comes to earth and they're trying to get rogue and they were going to do the brood for that episode. And the BSMP told them that the design was too scary and that they couldn't use it. And it was interesting. So it's interesting to see this. That's like, it's pretty much just a smiley brood, but they, they have them in the episode. Because they don't have the bangs, they don't have the red eyes, they've got, like, these sort of, I don't know, normal-looking eyes with, like, irises and pupils and stuff like that. They're kind of like these cute little dudes, um, like Brew, uh, except more violent, <laughs> because they crawl all over everything, and then they've got to basically, you know, 
flush them out of the airlock like alien. Uh, but they take Beast with them. And then Rogue, thankfully, is safe in the ship until it crashes into the sun. Which, yeah, that's not very safe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, and then they, uh, Beast and Rogue appear on the tiles next. Yes, and then they show the crowd reacting to it. Uh, it's the same shot as before, but reversed. Which makes sense. I mean, I do things like that. Like, for the Fantastic Four today that I was doing, there's one where they're in, like, these environmental suits that they have in the two, uh, 2015 movie. And so I did three characters wearing that, but for the uh, the shots of them from behind, I only rendered that once because it looks exactly the same. And so I just copied that onto the other ones. Just because no one's going to tell the difference, you know? Nice. <laughs> okay, do you want to go into the next one? Yeah, I'll take... So, uh, So of course, uh, you know, Wolverine and Jean don't take too kindly to, to what's going on with the X-Men, but of course they're they're powerless, really, to do anything about it at this point. And so Mojo kind of zaps those two remaining X-Men into the last series, which is I Dream of Jean... So even Mojo at this point can pick up on the fact that, uh, you know, there's this, this major unrequited love, uh, that Wolverine has for Jean, which it's like, oh man, Wolverine, like that's even, even Mojo gets it. Um, and so, it, it, which is funny too, because it's like, it's clearly supposed to be like, I dream, dream, of, know, Genie. I dream of Genie, you know, but yeah. it's not like nothing about the actual, the way this part plays out is, is like anything like you know, that. Right. It's like the, <laughs> They have the Miami Vice one, you know, they're having action, they got the jet boat, and then they go to the Star Trek one, they're in space, space battle, and then A Dream of Gene, and it's like not a sitcom at all, they're just immediately being shot at, it's just like, <laughs> okay, you're in the action now, and like, Wolverine is kind of doing like the 60s Batman climb, where he's scaling up the wall. And then he gets up there, and there's this robot, and then it turns into the Punisher. Yeah. Yeah, so so like Jean's up on the roof and she's like Logan help, you know, and he, he finally gets up there and he's been blasted by something. He's like his shirt's all ripped off now. Uh so he, so he's uh, going up against the Punisher and then uh there's like a couple other robots that show up and one of them is like Gladiator of the Imperial Guard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't recognize the other two. I assume that those are also Imperial Guard two, guys, but um I only learned about them recently because I was doing, like, designs for the Imperial Guard. When I watched the episode, I didn't, so I don't have the names oh. in my notes. Um, but I think, like, there's this bluish sort of gray one, this one with this big head. I think he's Earthquake. And the other is, I think, uh, Electron, maybe? I don't know. He's he's one that has, like, electric powers, but it's hard <laughs> to tell because there's, like, a billion of them. And there's only, like, four, really, that, that matter, like Manta, uh Gladiator, Smasher, and then Fang, the guy that Wolverine steals his clothes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And um, what was the uh, there, there's the like telepathic one who can. Oh yeah, uh, Oracle. I think. Oracle. Yeah, yeah, that, and, yeah. Those are like the main ones, and then they're, they're like Legion of Superheroes, where there's like five that matter, and then but there's like a hundred of them all together. Yeah. <laughs> And then as I was researching them, like a bunch of them just have the same names as other existing Marvel characters. Like there's a, one that's called Hobgoblin. 
It's like, okay, buddy. Nice. There's, there's probably one called Tiger Shark because I, I feel like that would be like a, a general enough name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Wolverine's like taking out these robots and Jean's laying on the ground probably because she passed out and then woke back up and she's like using her telepathic powers and she, she starts realizing that these are all like hallucination type things that are like also partnered up with various like animatronics and electronics. And she keeps repeat. And I, I don't even know why I don't remember or why I didn't write it down. Cause she repeats the same phrase like eight times. Uh, and I've totally drawn a blank on what it was, but she realizes that there's like a control room in the mojo arena that is like controlling all this stuff. And so she realizes that her, her psychokinetic powers can, um, like disrupt the electronic equipment in the control room. So she starts doing that. We actually see the spirals in, in the control room kind of controlling all this stuff. Um, and uh, I, I think when things stop working, Mojo like calls up to the control room and, and Longshot has been watching and he's like, Oh, control room. Interesting. So then he heads up there um, to, to free the X-Men. And so the X-Men get free and they just start like destroying all of the stuff in the arena. And, uh, <laughs> like I think Spiral then like she gets free and she just like sends them all home. Like yeah. it, it's like a very like kind of anticlimactic ending to everything. Like I, I, I described it in like four sentences and they're like four really boring sentences. Like the X-Men get free. Spiral sends them home. Like, but that's pretty much how it goes. And, I love how like the X-Men ball like nah, that was weird. <laughs> Just like yeah. shrug it off and go about their business. Yeah, I love how Longshot's uh, reasoning for rescuing the X-Men is just like they need to get out of my time slot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like altruistic at all. He's just like I'm just going to I'm just going to get these guys home. I I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, he's like wait a minute, I'm the star. What is going on here? And then the X-Men when uh Spiral starts sending them back, like Cyclops looks at an I uh optic blast and Jean's trying to like throw up her shield and everything like they think that she's attacking them or something and she's just like she doesn't care enough to do that she's just getting rid of them <laughs> she's like okay we're done here we can just... oh and then Cyclops just being like can someone tell me what just happened Yeah, they just like shrug it off and 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 leave, man. They don't, I don't even like they don't even pay the guy for all the TVs that they destroyed. They just like show back yeah. up and they're like meh, and just like just go about their business, walk away as if nothing happened. And then we go back to to Mojo Verse and uh, Longshot is just kind of standing there and and he like, walks up to Spiral and the two of them are like yeah, well you know might as well leave. And they're leaving, and he, he tells her, like, oh, did you know that I went on a date with a two-headed alien once? And she just asks him, like, oh, I didn't. Uh, was she nice? <laughs> like, yes weird conversation. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so Mojo returns, uh, as you do, from the wreckage, because they they shot the big sort of, I don't know, is Jumbotron the right word for it? It was a, like, sure. sort of massive screens. It works um, for me. <laughs> was just hanging up there, and, you know, that got shot down on him. Uh, but he crawls out from the wreckage, and then he looks at uh, one of the screens that hasn't been destroyed uh, that's on the wall, and he just goes, ooh, look, a jungle picture. And it's uh, Shauna the She-Devil is out there fighting Sauron, 
and then we realize that this is actually part of the the episode, like outside of like a thing that's really happening. Um, because Xavier and Magneto are there, and they take note of that, and they uh, check out Magneto's citadel that's out there in the distance. I didn't even realize that was Shanna the She Devil. Like I should have, I should have noticed that. I just put down that it was a cave woman. Like how I mean, did I? I have... I'm kind of just guessing here. I mean, maybe it says that on the. Maybe she's just a random cave woman, but I just was like, oh, a cave woman and a Marvel thing. That must be Shanna. No, I. I think you're absolutely right, and, and and I haven't gotten to the the two part premiere yet. Obviously, that's coming up in the next two episodes. But like now that you're saying that, I, I feel like yes, because no, because I'm going to get into spoiler territory and all that. But yeah, I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I think I'm pretty sure that's Shannon. Now that you say that, but it, it kind of a fun introduction to to Sauron too. Yeah. That we just kind of see him show up and like he just like hypnotizes her she and, and she stops she's like fighting back at first and then she stops when he looks at her and she just puts her arms out to the side um and he grabs her arms and flies away we should probably say that Sauron is like a pterosaur dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> not the not the guy he named himself after I think he talked about this in an earlier episode but yeah he, how he names himself after the character from Lord of the Rings in the comics <laughs> Yeah, I like how the dude's like, I'm a, a, an evil creature now, so I will take the most evil name in history, Sauron, Sauron. from a book of fiction. <laughs> you know, like, like you couldn't, you could have named yourself after like a devil or or some sort of demon or some mythological evil creature, but you're like, no, nah, I'm gonna pick the most evil name of all. This dude yeah. from the from his, these children's books. Written by an English guy, you know, 75 years ago. I wonder if he's like this huge Tolkien head and he has like <laughs> opinions about the uh, Peter Jackson movies <laughs> and the Hobbit movies and the way they were like if he has like these detailed rants about it and he has like a blog or something. Oh, man. Like he just really cares about Lord of the Rings a lot. and He has a lot of opinions about them. Uh, <laughs> But anyways, Magneto, it's funny because he just immediately recognizes Sauron. And he goes, oh, yeah, we shouldn't mess with him. <laughs> like, even if we had our powers, which we don't right now, that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's like throw a rock at a T-Rex, like take on some, you know, some plesiosaurs. No problem. But like a little a little pterosaur guy who, who can hypnotize you. Yeah, he's bad news. <laughs> yeah. And then that's the episode. And I just have a uh, side note written here that uh, Mark Hamill would be a sick voice for Mojo. Oh. Just, every time I read Mojo, I sort of hear his uh, his Joker voice, uh, oh, but kind nice. of kind of like stretched out a little, um, but just something like that. Something kind of like how, you know, Mark Hamill in like the last few decades has had kind of like this raspier voice. Uh, and he can just he can just play a good villain like he can be genuinely scary um, while also being like weird and funny. Um, I guess I'm just taking a bunch of the the characteristics of the Joker and just assigning them to Mojo. But <laughs> I I think he would do good at that. Like if Mojo was ever in the MCU, uh, I'd want Mark Hamill to voice him. That is brilliant. That that is an excellent fan cast. Holy cow! I love that. <laughs> And that's like the only fan cast I've ever had. <laughs> you're you're batting a thousand already. You're one for one. So retire retire uh, with a winning with a winning record. 
Um, and that's great. No, the, the whole thing that I kept thinking as I was watching this episode is I really want X-Men Legends 3 video game. And the whole concept of it would be Mojo verse, Mojo world, where it, in each, like each phase or each stage or whatever, uh, cause you know, it's like they would, they would usually have it in stages and it'd be like five or six levels and in this stage and it would go to the next stage and then it'd be like five or six levels in there. At least for X-Men Legends 2, it was like Savage Land and then they're at the X-Mansion and then they're in, wherever else they go there's like the broken down mansion they're on genosha for a little while uh they go to all these different bases but it would be something like that where you have all these different x-men characters but you're in this different setting so you'd have like uh like an actual robin hood level with nightcrawler that you'd have to play through and, and stuff like that like that would just be so cool or pirates Yes. Honestly, kind of shocked that he hasn't been on Marauders because that seems like his his dream thing there. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that that is it. Like that was a fun episode, uh, and I'm glad I was finally able to get you on because I know that you'd picked that episode like way back when I was still doing uh, when I was still scheduling for season one, and I was like, oh man, like that's so far away. But I'm I'm, I'm glad we finally got you on and we got to talk about this episode because it's such a, a fun little detour and especially right before like the big two part finale. Uh, so I'm super glad to have you on. And of course that conversation we had in the first half, so much fun getting to hear about your introduction to X-Men and, and all of your favorite characters and things like that was, that was a lot of fun. So thank you. Quinn, you are welcome to come back anytime. Uh, you know, when I start scheduling for season three, I'll let you know. And if you're interested and there's an episode you want to talk about, then we'll, we'll get you on the schedule for that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm so glad that I was able to have you on. Well, thank you. Thank All you right. Lot. So, so uh, go ahead. Oh, um, I oh, actually, there's one other thing I was going to ask you about. Um, okay. Because it hasn't come up before. Have you heard of the upcoming Wolverine game from Insomniac? I have, um, but I only have a Nintendo Switch, so chances are I won't be able to play that unless I get another system. So I haven't been paying too much attention to it, uh, but I, I did love the little teaser of him like sitting at the bar. That that was cool. Yeah, I I feel like if it's anything like what they did with Spider Man, you're you're going to want to get another concept for this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Spider-Man. I know that that game was super popular and, and I see all this stuff about like Spider-Man two miles Morales uh, as that, that one gets closer and closer to release. And, and yeah, just so many people that I know and trust and whose opinions I, I appreciate are like, Oh man, the Spider-Man game is like everything a Spider-Man fan could want and everything that a non Spider-Man fan would need to become a fan. So if, if that's the treatment that Wolverine's getting, I, I'm pretty excited. So yeah, I think you're right. I'll probably have to start saving up for a new console now though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely recommend it though. Um, so you can check out that. And then if you want to check out Spider-Man, because I think, I think on, on a different episode, you're mentioning how like you prefer sort of like, uh, kind of like college and older Spider-Man to high yes. school Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and this is, this follows him when he's in like his thirties or no, he's oh. his mid twenties. Um, so basically he's been Spider-Man for a few years and he's sort of more experienced than just like doing this for the first time. 
Um, but he's still discovering that there's, you know, new threats out there and there's new villains that haven't showed up before. Um, and you get sort of teases at the beginnings of other villains. And it's fun though, because like you find like mementos all across the map and it's like, Oh yeah, this is from the time that I fought Mysterio. And this is from the time that I fought the Rhino. And it's just jam packed with like a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, hearing that, that just gets me more excited for Wolverine because like what is he is he going to go to Canada or is he going to go to Madripoor or Japan or, or you know think, any any of that stuff? I think he's probably going to go all over because like the uh, in the teaser they stuffed it with so many Easter eggs like there's a little sign for the Princess Bar mm-hmm. and then there's like a license plate that has the uh, the issue where he first shows up and fights the Incredible Hulk. Oh, cool! Uh, so people are wondering like is he going to fight the Hulk in the game? Oh man. That would be cool. Yeah, I would, yeah, okay. All right, you you sold me. Like it's time for me to time for me to get another console. <laughs> yeah. You know, Nintendo's great for like a, a lot of Nintendo games. Uh but you know, there's there's other stuff out there too. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. So that that should do it for the episode then, uh Quinn. Before I let you go though, uh where can my fans find your work? Okay, so you can find me uh, on Twitter, at BrickheadsX, um, and the uh, name of the page is XBricks, which, I mean, those those two don't really match together, but, you know, what can you do? Well, I could change them, but, you know. Um, at the moment, that's the only place where you can really find me, um, besides, oh, besides recently, I started writing for this website called Gatecrashers, and I... Uh, did an article on the origins of Bionicle, which was a big toy line when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically I talk about the themes that came before it that were like its predecessors and then the process of making it and how just utterly insane that was. Um, and then also I'm working on an article about Jurassic Park and all kinds of really weird like monster dinosaurs that they came up with in the uh the 90s and the early 2000s just obscure corners of the of the franchise because i just love jurassic park a lot and so you can find that by going to gatecrashers.fan and uh looking up quinn hester's awesome yeah so i i highly recommend uh, any of my fans who are on twitter to definitely go check that out uh, and then, yeah, anyone who wants to hear or, or well, not hear, but anyone who who is uh, curious about checking out Quinn's writing, definitely go and uh, check out that website. Thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an absolute blast, Quinn. Take care. Thanks. You too. All right, bub. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Quinn as much as I did. It was a lot of fun. Like I said, it was a long time coming. Quinn has been a friend of the show for quite a while, going all the way back to my Twitter days. And like I said, I loved all of his Brickheads designs for the X-Men. Seriously, if any of you are on Twitter, go check him out at xbricks because, or excuse me, at Brickheads X, because 
His stuff is phenomenal. And of course, you can also check out the Discord. Uh, Take a look in the show notes for that link. And you can see some of his stuff there. Um, But going back, it was just, it was a long time coming to get him on the show. Uh, I've always gotten such great feedback from Quinn when I've done top fives and he's commented on things and I was really looking forward to getting him on here. And I'm just so glad that we were finally able to get him in for an episode. Uh, I, he was one of the first people that uh, I spoke to about coming on as a guest. He, he graciously volunteered to jump in and talk X-Men with me. And I, I was very grateful to have him on, uh, but it took a while to kind of get to, to his episode. So Hopefully we can bring him back sooner rather than later uh, and talk more X-Men. Of course, I also loved comparing our top fives. It was fun that we had a couple of the same characters, but the thing with X-Men is there are a lot of really great teenage characters that seem to be introduced in every new uh, era, every new major run. And so there were a lot to choose from. And of course, with him being a big Quentin Choir fan, uh, I was no shock to hear that he was not only his favorite X-Men character, but obviously his favorite teen from 2000 and beyond. So, Bub, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can follow me on Instagram at TalkinSnicked or reach out to me via email, TalkSnicked at gmail.com. Make sure that you tune in next week as a new special guest host and I will be breaking down X-Men, the animated series, season two, episode 12, Reunion part one and of course stay and check out the track back from the dead at the very end of this recording by the talented musician retcon x a guy who made original music inspired by the x-men if you like it make sure you check out his youtube channel or his spotify playlist until next time bub